0: Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Daniel chapter 7 beginning with verse uh, 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. So we get to this chapter, and chronologically, Daniel is backing up uh, to a period of time after the events of chapter four, which the the end of chapter four, now we're not told that that was the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, but that's, that's the last we really hear of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four. So it's at the end of his reign and before the events of chapter five. Chapter five is uh, really chronicles the end of Belshazzar's reign and also the, the end of uh, Babylon's reign as uh, an empire. In fact, as it says here, uh, this takes place in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. So, however, how long he reigned, I have no idea. Uh, but it's but that kind of gives you an idea, time wise, is where that was. Now, chapters one through six chronicle the events in Daniel's. 80 years of life. He's in his 80s at this point, we believe, and he's sat under, or or I should say, served under three different kings during this time, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius, or Darius, uh, the, the Persian king. And so, Beginning so chapters one through six is basically it's it's Daniel's history as far as the Bible, you know, what, what we're revealed or what's revealed to us. Chapters one through six. Chapters seven through twelve, we were kind of taking a new tack now. And now this is uh, dreams and visions that Daniel had, and it basically starts with um, you know, it doesn't start with Adam and Eve. It starts with the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and the rule of uh, in Babylon, and it goes forward until the reign of the Messiah, whose kingdom will have no end. So it's from Babylon, or the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, all the way to the Messiah. And Daniel recorded his dreams and his visions, and as he says there at the end of that verse, he says that you know he's not describing every detail of history. He's just giving the facts. Just the facts. That's all he wants. So um, We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're actually gonna, I'm going to actually just read through the chapter. And the reason why, and you'll kind, maybe you'll see as later on, there, it kind of goes back and forth. And so I thought, let's just read it together. And then we'll come back and we'll look at some main points. So beginning with verse 2. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast A second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side, and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now then, now Daniel's vision kind of turns from earth. Now he's looking to heaven, verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten uh, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast's, They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then now Daniel's going to see something new. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit with my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, um, which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints, and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings." He shall speak excuse me, he shall speak pompous words against the most high, shall persecute the saints of the most high, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So Daniel is receiving this vision during the time that Babylon was the world empire. And so these other empires, he had no clue about them. This is a prophecy. And so the very first point I want to make out of this chapter is that God reveals world history even before it happens, as he did in the case here with Daniel. I want to draw your attention you don't have to turn there but you can if you, or you can make notes of it whatever but I want to read to you Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 10 it says this remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So why does God reveal in advance world history to men? Why did he do that? Well, first one of the f- main things is that God provides or God proves his existence. That he exists, that he's not just, you know, some belief system. God exists and there is no other god him, god like him, excuse me. But not only that, we know and we can trust God's word. The Bible that you're holding right now, you can read it, you can trust and know that that is God's word. In fact, Peter says this in 2nd Peter that it's the prophetic word confirmed. So all these things God is revealing these things for a purpose. And so in verse 2 and verse 3, Daniel sees these four uh, first, excuse me. Daniel sees these four great beasts coming up from the great sea. Now, the great sea, we're not told what it is. It's probably the Mediterranean Sea, uh, but we're not sure. In Revelation 17, the sea that's described there is a picture of basically all the nations of the earth. So it could be referring to that as well. And so out of these nations of the earth arise these four great beasts. And then Daniel is told there in verse 17 what they are. He doesn't have to guess. says, those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. Now as we're going through this chapter, Daniel chapter 7, what you're going to notice is that it really does parallel the vision that Nebuchadnezzar received in Daniel chapter 2. He had that vision of that great statue of this, of this man, basically. And its head was gold, its, its chest and its arms were silver, its waist and its, and its belly was bronze, and its legs were iron, and then his feet were iron and part clay. And, and that's really a parallel of what uh, Daniel is being uh, shown here. But this dream provides more details than the one that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so the first beast... In chapter 4, it's like a lion. It had eagle's wings. Now it's interesting. So you guys know I put, I put graphics up here to kind of just, you know, just nice to have to look at them and stuff. And if I had wanted to, I could have gone on the internet and pulled up some artist's conception of what this beast looks like and uh but that would flavor what you're what you're thinking and so it says you'll notice there in verse 4 it says it's like a lion so it's not a lion it's like a lion so there are some characteristics of a lion that Daniel is thinking, oh, that kind of resembles a lion in how it acts or in how it looks or something. So rather than trying to put up this artist's conception, I just put a lion up there and an eagle, you'll see that it had eagle's wings. So you can kind of let your mind wander there. So it's like a lion and had eagle's wings. Now that corresponds, like I said, with chapter two, with the uh, Babylonian empire, which was represented by the head of gold in that uh, dream that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter two. Here, in chapter 7, that same kingdom is represented like a lion with eagle's wings. You think about a lion. It's the most regal uh, uh, of the animals. It's the most splendorous of the animals. It's the, you know, it's the king of the beasts, basically, the lion. The, the eagle, of course, is the king of the birds of the air. Very majestic as well. And so this first king is Nebuchadnezzar. He's the first king of this great this first beast. And notice as he's, Daniel is watching this, it says its wings were plucked off. Remember, it had eagle's wings? They were plucked off. And that corresponds to chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated. Uh, excuse me, chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated and the kingdom was torn from him. And he spent seven years like a wild animal, basically. Um, he was prideful, and, God, and God, I mean, so to speak, clipped his wings. I mean, that's kind of really what's being spoken about here. And then it says that he was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And if you read chapter 4, you know that at some point, seven years passed, and Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses, and he acknowledged that God's kingdom is above all and will reign forever. And after that, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, after those seven years, he was restored, his kingdom was restored to him. And so that's what this is picked. Uh, mentioning, it was, he was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. So that's the first kingdom the, the kingdom or the empire of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar being that first king. Then we have the second beast there in verse 5 and again it's like a bear, doesn't, doesn't mean it's a bear it's like a bear and that corresponds to the Medo-Persian empire that's represented by the chest of and the uh, arms of silver in chapter 2. And the bear, it, you know, it's more powerful than a lion, but it's not as splendorous. You know, it's kind of clumsy, and, you know, it's just not as regal as a lion would be. But it is definitely more powerful. And this, in this vision, this beast that resembles a bear, it's raised up on one side. And John uh Walvered, Uh, has written, has said this. He said, Persia had greater power than Medea. And so um, that might be what that represents. We're not really told, so you could take that for what it's worth. But this beast also had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And again, we're not told what those ribs are. It could represent what Cyrus and his son Cambyses uh, conquered. Cyrus conquered the Lydian kingdom in Asia Minor, excuse me, the Lydian kingdom in Asia Minor in 546 BC. Then he conquered the Chaldean empire in 539 BC, and then later his son Cambyses—I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. We'll call him Cam for short. Um, Cam conquered the kingdom of Egypt in uh, 525 BC. So it could be pointing to that, but. Who knows? It might not. It could simply be the three provinces of Babylonia, Persia, and Medea. It's possible. We don't we don't really know. And it says there, and they said to thus, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. And the Medo-Persian Empire devoured much more kingdoms and expanded much more larger than the Babylonian Empire that was before it. And so the second king, I believe, was Cyrus the uh, of Persia. He's also known as Cyrus the Great. So that's two kingdoms, two beasts. Now we get to the third beast in verse 6. And again, it's like a leopard, which has on its back four wings like a bird. And this corresponds to the empire of Greece. And in chapter 2, that represents the, 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 the waist and the thighs of bronze of this of this statue in chapter 2. Well, what made him think that it was like a leopard? Well, leopards are renowned for their agility. I was trying to figure out, are they the fastest animals on the earth, and I, or fastest mammals? I think cheetahs might be the fastest. So it's not the fastest, but they're very. leopards are very agile. And I came up with these, um, you know, I went to Wikipedia, and you know, the internet's got to be true, right, when you read it. So it's, this has got to be fact. Um, what do I have here? Leopards. They're renowned for their agility. They can run up to 58 kilometers per hour. For us in the United States, that's 36 miles per hour. So I don't think any of us could outrun a leopard. They can leap 6 meters, which is about 19 feet, horizontally, just that way, or 3 meters or 9 feet vertically. So these guys, can they can jump, they can pounce very quick. Well, the third king is, I believe, again, Alexander the Great. He was known for his rapid conquest of the world. He conquered the known world in one campaign all by the time he turned 28. Just It was amazing how fast he conquered the world. And Daniel's told there, or in this vision, he says the beast had four wings of a bird and four heads, uh, and dominion was given to it and Alexander the great died in Babylon in 323 BC and his empire was split divided up evenly right away uh, by his four generals so that could be what this is pointing to it's an amazingly you know it's amazing when you look at history and you read this you go wow it's, a, it's it's amazing we get to the fourth beast and that starts in verses 7 through 8 and then it kind of continues throughout the rest of the chapter now, <clears throat> I don't have any image for the fourth beast from chapter 7 because Daniel doesn't say it's like anything. He doesn't, he doesn't give us a description. It's so terrible. It's so unique. It's not like any other kingdoms that he can't even describe what it looks like. And so all I put up there was the, um, the legs and the feet that um, chapter 2, it corresponds with. In verse 7, it says it was dreadful dreadful and terrible exceedingly strong it had huge iron teeth it was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet and this corresponds to the Roman Empire the legs and the feet and the toes of chapter two of that image that we looked at a few weeks ago in chapter two the legs were of iron the feet and the toes uh, were of partly iron and partly clay now it's interesting and we're not going to go back into chapter two but when, ne- when Nebuchadnezzar had this vision of this man and it's all these different composite materials, it starts out with the head of gold. Gold is the most precious metal, and it goes down as he go- goes down through this through you know, the, describing this, this image that he has, it starts from the most precious and it goes down to the least precious. But it also starts from, you know gold's the so- one of the softest metals, and so it starts from the most malleable to the hardest, to iron. And then very brittle with iron uh, mixed with clay. And the Roman Empire was very, very strong. And it crushed and it devoured its enemies. Daniel says it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Now I happen to believe those ten horns correspond with the ten toes of the the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in chapter 2. And then in verse 8 there's a new aspect introduced while he's considering the horns and I don't know if that's what it looks like but just I threw it up there I thought it was cool okay I thought it was cool while he's considering the horns another horn a little one comes up and replaces three of the horns and there in this horn were eyes like a man Uh, and a mouth speaking pompous words so he's looking at this beast in this vision and it's got these horns and then all of a sudden three horns are plucked out and one little horn raises up and it looks like a man it's the face of a man now i don't know if that's literally what it looks like but anyways we're told in in uh, verse 23 the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. And the Roman Empire was truly more awesome and more stronger than any of the empires that ruled before it. And it lasted for about 1,000 years. Amazing. It was not like any other kingdom. The fourth king... You could be tempted to say, it would be Augustus Caesar, who was the very first emperor uh, emperor, excuse me, of Rome. The problem was the Roman Empire had seventy empires uh emperors, not empires. they had seventy emperors. Um, and so, who is this fourth king? Well, I think it's this little horn, and I think he hasn't been revealed yet. And you might say, "Wait a minute, Buster, wait, hold the horses here." The Roman Empire ended about 1,500 years ago, and you're saying that that king of this hasn't been revealed yet. I'm saying that, yes. (laughs) Based on this prophecy and others in Daniel as we continue in Daniel, I believe, and again, this is my belief, it's not thus saith the Lord, that there's going to be a revival of the Roman Empire in the last days. Verse 24 says, the ten horns of the beast are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them and he shall be different from the first ones and shall, shall subdue three kings. These There's ten horns are ten kings. Notice it says, who shall arise from this kingdom. Now, this is an Aramaic word, arise, and I want to give you, it's, it's defined in different ways, but um, Brown, Driver, Biggs, uh, Bible Dictionary, Hebrew Bible Dictionary, it says it can be, deter, uh, can be interpreted this, to arise out of inaction. So it it's, kind of fits anyways. Also, there is no correlation in past history to ten kings that reigned, that reigned at, at the same time in the Roman Empire, that you know, three of them gave up their throne to another king. There's, there's no, no historical correlation. In the Bible... There's many examples of a prophecy that has significant time gap. There's, a, there's at least a 2,000-year time gap between this prophecy, at least 2,000 years. But that's not, it's not unique to the Bible. I want to give you an example. In Joel 2, verse 28, and I apologize for the eye chart, but in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. If that sounds familiar to you, it was quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Sunday, that first Pentecost after Christ ascended into heaven, and the disciples are gathered there in the upper room, 120 of them, and the Holy Spirit descends on them, and all of a sudden they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it, you know, the people rush in, they hear this rushing wind, and they want to figure out what's going on, and, and, and they're speaking in tongues. And Peter quotes these two verses in Joel and says, what you're witnessing is a fulfillment of that prophecy but the prophecy doesn't end there at verse 29 it continues in joel chapter 2 verse 30 and i will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the lord in between verse 29 and verse 30 of Joel chapter 2, there's a gap of at least 2,000 years. That gap is the church age. It's the age that you and I live in right now. It was hidden in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New Testament. So that's an example of a prophecy where it starts and then there's this great big gap. And there's others we could, we could study today, but there are more of them. It's a, there's a gap in that prophecy. But there's also prophecies where there's two events prophesied in one prophecy. And I'll give you another example. In Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah is rebuking the false shepherds of Israel. And he says this in 23 verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. That branch is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The coming Messiah. And so this prophecy, Jeremiah is is prophesying the coming of the Messiah, the first coming of Christ. But the prophecy continues. It says, A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our Righteousness. When Jesus came the first time, Israel, the the land Judah, they were underneath Roman rule. They were not free. They weren't dwelling in safety. This is a prophecy that there's two prophecies. There was the first coming of Christ, the branch would be coming, and then these last verses speaks of the second coming of Christ and the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. So there's a few examples. And like I said, you can go back and find other ones too. So going back to this fourth beast, What part of this prophecy has not yet been revealed? Well, first of all, the revealing of the ten horns, right? They haven't been revealed yet. We don't know who these ten ten kingdoms are or ten kings. The revealing of the little horn, we don't know who that is. It's funny, when I was in... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We also don't know the reign of the, the little horn. Well, who is he? Well, again, I think this fourth king hasn't been revealed yet. It's the Antichrist. Now I was going to say earlier I was uh, in grade school. I remember a friend coming up to me and telling me I know who the Antichrist is. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and he had these things. He, he, and I'll just give you a heads up. It was Henry Kissinger. I don't know if you ever heard that before, but he was the Antichrist. And uh, and so he came up and he added up the numbers of his name and he came up with some number. And then you add Pythagoras' theorem to that. You divide it by the uh, the square of some number, and then you add pi to it and stuff, and pretty soon you end up with 666, Kissinger's the Antichrist. Well, anyways, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's in uh, Revelation. We'll we'll look at that at some point, but I believe this is the Antichrist who has not been revealed. And so what does Daniel tell us about this little horn? In verses 24 and 25, it says, "'He shall be different from the first ten kings, "'and he'll subdue three kings.'" says he'll speak pompous words against the Most most High. And this definitely corresponds to the description of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. Verses 5 and 6 in Revelation 13, it says, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. In Revelation 13, this is the Antichrist. This is very similar to what Daniel is seeing here, and I believe Daniel's seen the same person. We're also told that he'll intend to change times and law. That'll be interesting. He'll persecute the saints of the Most High. In fact, in verse 21, it says he'll make war against the saints and prevail against them for a time. And then it says the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. I'm not going to get into that this morning because we're going to get into that a lot more as we go further into Daniel's prophecies. As we get further into it, we'll delve into that. So I'll just we'll just take it at face value right now and come back or... Follow online or whatever, and uh, we'll get into that when we get to it. But not only does God reveal history, world history, before it happens, but God rules over history. Look at verse 21 and 22. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. There in verse 26, But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and destroy it forever. Backing up to verse 11, I watched then because the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. You know, we're 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 told what is going to be happening through Daniel and other prophecies in the Bible, what will happen in the future. And God sees the future. He sees the end from the beginning, but he's not a passive observer. I got to make that point clear. It's not like God's just like, well, I know I'm going to tell you what's going to happen because I've seen it. I've seen what's going to happen. God's in control of what's going to happen in the future. Nebuchadnezzar served uh, the reign of Babylon. It served God's purpose. It would serve God's purpose to to bring His people into captivity because for 70 years, actually 490 years, they hadn't uh, observed the seven-year Sabbath where they were supposed to let the land rest. And so for 490 years. God said, okay, for every seven years, you're going to be in captivity. There was a purpose. And so Babylon was raised up. Each of these empires were raised up for a purpose, as well as the reign of the Antichrist. There's a purpose in that as well. God not only reveals the future, but he controls it. He rules over future. I like this proverb, Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Are you struggling this morning with what's going on in our nation, or maybe worldwide? You know, it's like what I, you know. If you are like me, I, I start reading the news and I get really upset. And maybe you are, maybe you are like this. Everything's awesome; it's getting better. I think it's getting worse personally, but um, I don't like to see what the people in power right now are doing. I think they're destroying our nation. Um, but having said that, and, and who wants to be alive at the end of a of the reign of a, an empire? You know Jeremiah was that way. Jeremiah knew God said the children of Israel they're going into captivity. Judah's going into captivity. And Jeremiah was pronouncing that and nobody wanted to hear it. You know, they were con- they were they thought he was treasonous. You know, they thought he was like unpatriotic and they were they were slamming him because of his prophecies. But God that was God's word. God said it was going to happen. I don't like to see what's going on. Who wants to be at the tail end of a great world or a great nation like the United States, most powerful, wealthiest nation that's ever existed? You know, And we're seeing the downfall of it. But you've got to remember, it's been prophesied that it would happen this way. So while I don't like it, I trust God's in control. So even when you see everything going really crazy, you go, man, things are just getting out of control. As far as man's concerned, things are coming out of control, but not God's. God's on the throne still, and he's he's in control. So not only does God rule over world history, but he rules over your and my history as well. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, verse 29-31 Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very heads, excuse me, (laughs) the very the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Man, a sparrow, a little little bird. just falls. To the ground. It doesn't happen apart from God's will. You're more valuable I, Peter probably wouldn't agree with that but you're more valuable than a sparrow. God is in control, and God is in control of your history and my history as well. Verses nine and 10 there. And again, I would be—it would be lame for me to try to put them. You can go to the—you can Google an image of the, these verses, but it's like, yeah, right. That's just an artist conception. So, I have a pretty, pretty scene to look at, and you can just imagine in your mind. Uh, verse nine and ten: I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth uh, from before him. So who is this Ancient of Days? I believe this is, a, this is God the Father. And uh, wheels are mentioned here. And uh, I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? And so I looked it up. Well, the Aramaic, it's an Aramaic masculine noun meaning wheel. <laughs> so there's wheels Um, And it's only used one time. Now that doesn't mean I believe that God's in a wheelchair or anything like that. Um, I don't know what it means. And I don't think you do either. And it's not part of like a spaceship, you know, or people said, um, it's very similar to what Ezekiel, I think, saw in his visions of the throne of God. But if you go to that, it's actually a different Hebrew word. This is an Aramaic word. uh, But it could be the same thing that Ezekiel, or excuse me, that Daniel is seeing. Again, I don't know what it is, but that's what, is being described here. Second half of verse 10. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times, ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. It's like the world's greatest courtroom. The world's greatest court scene that will ever take place. It appears to me that what Daniel is seeing is what the apostle John would see in the book of Revelation, the great white throne judgment, and that's in Revelation chapter 20. And I'm just going to read a few verses to you. This is what John saw in Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, which, uh, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. What are these books? It's interesting. If you look through the Bible, you can do a search on the books, or books of this or that, and there are some books mentioned. In Psalm 139, verse 16, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet were none of them. Our, we're written in a book, and our days are numbered. All our days are preordained by the Father. I remember being, one time being flying in a small plane and going over the Rockies, and all of a sudden I like, I don't know, it was like 10,000 feet in like four seconds. My stomach was in my throat, you know, I was about ready to puke. And I'm like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not going to die unless it's my time to die. (laughs) So I better make sure I'm ready, you know. Um, You're not going to die before your time. All our days are numbered and they're preordained by the Father. So there's a book that's written, our our time span. In Malachi 3.16, there's another book mentioned. It says this, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written uh, before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Every time you do a Bible study, every time you share your faith with someone and you're mentioning the Lord, the Lord's like, man, they're talking about me, and he'll write it down in his book. Well, anyways, these books that Daniel is seeing in his vision, that John saw in his vision, they're opened, and everyone is judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. Proverbs 21, verse 2 says this, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. You know, we view ourselves one way, but God doesn't necessarily view us the same way that we view ourselves. In fact, it's interesting when how man views the kingdoms. Remember Nebuchadnezzar had this vision of this, this image that was mankind in these different empires, and it was a glorious image. Well, here in chapter 7, how does God view them? They're beasts. He's not impressed. They're just animals. Also, another Interesting observation that I've caught anyways. Um, The histories of the empires, as far as the book of Daniel goes, it starts with Babylon and it starts with a man, a very prideful man, Nebuchadnezzar. And the fourth empire is the last empire and it features also a very proud man too, the Antichrist. But as it says, he and his kingdom will be destroyed. And that's the next point I wanna bring up. God's kingdom, will endure forever. Look at verse 13. I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. So we have two different characters, two different individuals in this vision. One is the Ancient of Days who I happen to believe is God the Father and then there's this other one like the Son of Man and I happen to believe that is Jesus Christ the Son of Man. It's interesting, if you go to the New Testament, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man over 80 times in the Bible. So this is definitely Jesus Christ, who Daniel is seeing. In verse 14, it says, Then to him, to to Jesus Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And then, of course, the end of verse 27, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So all these other kingdoms, they're going to pass away eventually. The Antichrist's kingdom is going to be destroyed. So this is the last point I want to bring up. No, actually, it's the second to last. Sorry. I'm a pastor. I keep going. Um, how does a person become part of God's kingdom? I want to be part of God's kingdom that's going to that's reign forever. Revelation 20, verse 12. Again, I'm going to read this to you. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And these are the books that people can be judged against, whatever's written in those books. But then it says, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Later on in Revelation 21, verse 27, that same book will be described as the Lamb's book of life. So how does a person become part of God's kingdom that will never end? Well, first of all, it's believing that you are a sinner. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all, we've all broken God's commandments and his law. So first, you have to believe. You have to recognize, admit that you're a sinner. Secondly, believing that Jesus Christ died for your sin on the cross and rose again from the dead on the, on the third day. Romans 10.9, if you b- confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's pretty simple. It's not difficult. Now, it wasn't simple for the Lord. He died for it. But it's simple for you and I to put our trust in him. And then finally, asking Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior. Romans 10.13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So admitting that you're a sinner, recognizing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead, and then confessing, coming to him and asking Him to, inviting him in to be your Lord and your Savior. If you do those things, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And all those things that you would have been judged for, they all have been judged in Christ Jesus. He took all of ours. He was condemned so that you and I could have eternal life. He paid the price for us. All our sins were judged in Christ Jesus, and He was condemned and died for us that we might live eternally with him. That, that's the gospel in the nutshell. It's so easy for you and I to become a member of that kingdom. In fact, John 3:36, "He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son, or does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him." And so for all those believers who have gone on before us and who will go on before, after us and those of us that are here who have put our trust in Christ for our salvation, this is the last point, we are going to reign with Christ in his kingdom. And I believe that's the millennial, a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Daniel 7, verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. We're going to be part of that kingdom if you have your trust in Christ Jesus this morning. And so we can look at the world around us and we can see these great kingdoms coming up and their power and all that they do and they're boasting and everything. And you know what? We go, you know what? God's in control. Why, why even worry about it? We know it's good. We know the end story. Jesus wins and he receives the kingdom. You know, it's an interesting thing and I'll close with this. Um, Paul later on in his epistles He's going to talk about the faith. He's going to say, don't you know that we're going to reign and we're going to judge angels? Can't you judge things among yourselves? So The fact that you and I are going to be in this millennial kingdom, we're going to reign with Christ, I believe our lives as believers now is preparing us for that time when we're going to reign with Christ. So we want to be faithful. We want to grow. We want to to be mature believers because it's going to affect how you reign with Christ in in eternity. I'll have the worship team coming up here, and let's go Lord in prayer. I looked at my wife. She's not coming up. (laughs)